What's going on, everybody? And welcome back to episode 146 of the Designated Players Podcast. Today, we cover two more amazing stories from early MLS days. We start with the story of early MLS's attempt to gain popularity. How did they do it? By signing a reality TV star to an MLS roster. Not just an MLS roster, but the MLS roster of the LA Galaxy. Move over, Beckham. It's Andrew Shoes. Time to shine. This is going to be followed by a story of Eddie Pope's towering header to win DC United's first ever MLS Cup. So make sure you stick around and stay tuned for both of those stories. My name is Andrew. I'm here with my good buddy, Connor, and this is MLS History Retold. Connor, how excited are you on a scale of 1 to 10? Well, considering I had no idea about the story you were telling, but just the little tidbit you gave there already made me roll my eyes. <laughs> you are going to love it. It's going to be so good. I can't wait for yours. I do love, I like moments of big goals or big games almost more than the crazy moments because they have so much more impact on people. Um, so I'm excited for yours as well. Uh, but what I'm really excited for most, most of all is what scarf you're well, unfortunately, I don't have a scarf for either that was in the final. So instead, I just brought out an MLS Cup final scarf. This one happens to be for Seattle. But considering I am talking about the MLS Cup final. The upside down I'll MLS just, Cup final? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's because that's DC flipped that game upside down. Nice. Good recovery. Yep, yep. Well done. Saved it. Um, I also don't have a scarf related to this topic, but I do have, I've got the United States scarf because this might be the most United States thing I've ever seen in my life. So this is going to be really, oh man. All right. Why don't we just jump right into it then? In early MLS days, they knew that the hype of the world cup wasn't going to be quite enough to bring in those big crowds that they wanted to compete with the other sports in America, but they did know one reality TV booming you want people to watch the league get them to watch one person and it'll still count at this time in america a show called melrose place was a popular tv series basically taking a bunch of attractive hollywood people throwing them in a house making them play characters and putting crazy storylines you know very um bachelorette bachelor type of feel uh but it was a spinoff of 90210 I've never seen any of those shows I just mentioned, but that's what people are saying. So the show Melrose Place at its peak right about this time, 1996, had over 15 million viewers per episode. People knew who these characters were. Our main character, his name is Andrew Shue. He played Billy Campbell in this TV show and was basically the star of the show. Everybody knew who Andrew Shue was. And that was just what the league executives, who would do anything at this time to keep this league afloat through its infancy, needed to hear. When the 96 season came around, Shue, who actually, funny enough, was an all-Ivy League soccer player at Dart- uh, Dartmouth. Excuse me. So he had a bit of background about him. He was a brand ambassador for the sport. So in, in the 94 World Cup, he was very big in getting people bought into it. And, you know, same idea that we're kind of going for right now. 
But once they made the announcement that LA would have a team, he asked they were they asked him to be the ambassador for the LA team. He said, sure, but I also want a chance to try and win a spot on the LA Galaxy. He asked to go get a tryout. Let's let's before we get into the tryout, Shu wasn't just an act- actor. Before he went to Hollywood, he actually had a year of pro soccer experience in Zimbabwe, where he took the Bulawayo Highlanders to the Zimbabwean Super League Championship trophy. So while the owner and the head coach of the Galaxy were pushing and shoving, one want the owner wanted him because it would bring tons of eyes to LA. LA would be everybody's favorite team. The head coach didn't want him because they'd bring tons of eyes to the league and, and they didn't want the wrong sort of publicity for their team. So they pushed, they shoved, and by the time it was over, Andrew Shue got himself a tryout spot on the LA Galaxy. A Hollywood star who hadn't played in six years got himself a tryout with the LA Galaxy. The story about his tryout is the same no matter who you ask. He may not have been the most technical, but man, oh man, could this guy move. This wasn't a publicity stunt. He went out there and won every single fitness test the Galaxy put them. The two-mile, the shuttle test, beep test, whatever you, they put that him, he came in first. And they said it wasn't even close. It wasn't like he just beat out Kobe Jones, who was known as the most fit player on LA at the time. He smoked it. He ran the two-mile in 11 minutes. He was there to make the team, not just make the cameras look good. So after all this tryout happens, the Galaxy decided, yes, we will sign Hollywood superstar Andrew Shue to an MLS contract. They knew he wouldn't turn into a starter, but they figured, you know what? He's got a bit of pace about him. He's got a bit of strength. Let's see what he can do at the end of games. But back in the day, faxing files was the big thing to do when you needed to get something signed quickly. There was no other way to do it. So they send the contract to Shoe's house via fax. And after three days, they get a fax back. And I'm going to quote um, Todd Durbin, the VP of Competition and Player Relations for MLS. I open it up and I'm looking at it and I have no idea what this is. It says, Billy, what are you doing tonight? Allison, I'm not sure. He sent me a script for Melrose Place. Apparently he had run out of paper. So back in the day in his Hollywood mansion, Andrew Shue didn't have a spare piece of paper. So he took a piece of of the script that he was recording that week, faxed the thing on the back of it, and then signed it and faxed it back. Everybody tells a story about how Lionel Messi signed a contract on a napkin. Move over, bum. We signed things on the back of scripts for multi-million dollar TV deals. This is MLS, baby. MLS agreed to let him be on the team as long as he fulfilled his ambassador duties as well. So... Uh, In the game that we had spoken about in our first episode, San Jose versus DC, he actually flipped the coin in that first game uh, to, you know, hype everybody up because, again, everybody knew who he was. The press ate this up, but this was brilliant in terms of getting eyes on the league. They loved this idea of somebody living the double lifestyle of a Hollywood actor and an MLS superstar, uh, which was great because people got to watch this for one person and one person only, right? And and that's okay at the early stages of what we were doing. And he actually got some game time. 
all in all, according to transfer market, he made five full appearances, almost about a hundred minutes. And he recorded one assist officially against, can you guess? Of course you can. The New York, New Jersey Metro Stars. One thing that you will notice as we go through this entire series is the Metro Stars are really, really good at giving either players or teams their first something. Whether it be their first win in in a derby, whether it be their first goal in their career, whether it be the first hat trick in their career. Whatever it may be, we usually give it to them. He also, Andrew Shue did, um, set up a go- a game-winning own goal in the game before that as well. So he was creating chances. He was doing okay. Andrew Shue said in an interview that this whole thing was basically a fantasy. And I quote, he would go from working with Heather Locklear in the morning. He would go from working with Heather Locklear in the morning, training soccer in the afternoon with the Galaxy, and then playing in the Rose Bowl in front of 60,000 people on the weekend. I don't know how I looked into it, but the whole thing was a fantasy. That is a quote from Andrew Shue himself. So the question is, was this a desperate move to try and gain quick popularity with the Americans? Yeah. Did you see the best and brightest from what the league had to offer when you put him in the game? No, not even a little bit. Is it the reason where we are that the league is where it is today? One might be able to argue that, which is why it's on this list. There is definitely a timeline in our multi, multi-dimensional world where we do not exist, MLS does not exist, without the signing of Hollywood superstar Andrew Shue to the LA Galaxy. And that is where I will leave my story. Haven't there been a couple of other kind of superstar people that have gotten at least like trials with MLS? Like, didn't I feel like I remember a story where like Steve Nash had a trial with with Sporting KC. Uh, Chad Ochocinco like had a trial with Sporting Ocho KC. Cinco. Yeah. I pretty I thought Nash did too. Because Nash, I think, is actually good at soccer. Yeah, I thought he was maybe with Toronto because he's from Canada, isn't he? Um, yeah, I guess there, Sporting there are, KC wouldn't make much sense. <laughs> yeah, there were definitely trials. Yeah, like those football, basketball players getting trials. But nobody's ever signed a deal like this. They signed this guy... And remember, by the way, he hadn't played in years. You know, so it's the same deal. It's not like he was a pro athlete coming back and using just pure athleticism. This dude hadn't trained anything in years. He's the story went on to say that he would spend every non-shooting minute at Melrose Place, either on a treadmill with a soccer ball, like really training for it. So I mean, full credit to him. He went out and gave everything that he could to make this team, and, and he was rewarded for it. But never again will you see see us signing a uh, Hollywood superstar who just wants to play because we need more eyes on the league. That's why we have the designated players. <laughs> yeah, I think I was wrong on the Steve Nash one, but I think I think you're right on. I, it might have been Ochocinco that I was thinking of, but Ocho I mean, Cinco it's, it's, that's not like in my it's not like crazy uncommon i mean it's not common but didn't man united do that with usain bolt didn't they take him on trial i, I think dortmund took him on trial some i know somebody big took him on trial but i mean that's that's a publicity thing so like you can't even say oh it's just mls trying to get fans which like 
yes, that's what they were trying to do. And I think that makes sense considering it was their first year ever. But it's not just an American thing, clearly. No, no. People will get trials all the time. But I think what's crazy is he actually got the got the spot. That's what I'm I that's yeah. what I take from this is sure they could have given him a trial and then been like, Oh, look who's training with us. And everybody's like, Oh, I wonder where he is. But no, they they took him on and they put him in games because and people would show up just to see him play. There were stories about um and I didn't include them in the in the story part of it, but um his teammates would would use him to pick up girls. Like they they'd be talking to somebody at a bar, be like, Hey, like this weekend you want to go see them shoot Melrose plays? I know a guy. And they would get dates out of it because they knew him. Um, to his credit, they said that he was completely one of the most humblest people you've ever met. Like he didn't come in thinking he was a big shot because he was in Hollywood or whatever. He came in and he he knew his role. He worked really hard um, and he was super nice too. like he wasn't like a, a an annoying guy. He was super, super good. So uh, probably couldn't have happened to a better person and really, really interested to see. If we can, and it won't be this episode, but if we can put together a timeline of what wouldn't have happened if we didn't get eyes from Melrose Place on the league in 1996, that'd be a cool little uh, butterfly effect uh, research episode. Yeah, I could I, honestly, I could just tell that this guy was definitely humble considering how hard he worked for this. I, I almost kind of wish that he. It pan out for him. Honestly, I feel like I'm rooting for him now, even though obviously it's way too late at this point. I think he decided to pull away once uh, he started to try and so because he had a kid in the first year of the league and they were also trying to work him out of the show. So I think he was trying to move on from life in L.A. completely. He actually lives in New York now. He was doing he was upstate for a little bit uh, in 2020 during COVID trying to just kind of see it all out. So he's got a family up over in New York now, which is again, good for him. So. Yeah, it's, it's a real shame. We didn't see him in the, uh, the first ever MLS cup, which featured the LA galaxy. Your transitions are fantastic. I know they're on point today, but if you got nothing else to say, I will dive into Eddie Pope's gaming header. For the first ever MLS Cup. So, as always, my source for this one, I was using the article on Wikipedia for this match. uh, And also took a bit from the full match video on YouTube from the MLS channel. It is MLS Cup final time, and it is the 1996 version. The date exactly is October 20th, 1996 the day of the first ever MLS Cup final. And not to spoil things already, but it was a doozy. The game was said to be played in everyone's favorite Foxborough in Massachusetts. But the game actually almost got canceled due to a nor'easter that hit the area following Hurricane Lily. So with that knowledge gained, I'm sure you can imagine that attendance probably not going to be at its best. And sure enough, despite selling 42,368 tickets, only 34,643 showed up for the game. But if you watch the full video on YouTube, you'll see that 30, really 35,000 people still showing up in the weather that was going on in that game is insane. 
like I I'll be honest, I did not expect the passion for MLS to be this high in year one. And I get it. Some of it is definitely like, oh, it's just it's the new thing in town to do. But I still didn't expect it to be this hyped. So this game, as you can tell by still how people showed up, is still a massive deal. Don't get me wrong. Uh, Big enough to the point that the fire marshal had to come in and clear out the press box because it was getting too overfilled. The hype was here. MLS Cup Final 1996 was a big deal. It's not. It's certainly not as big deal as like the Super Bowl, but you know, within its context, it, it had its hype. As always, for my stories, I will go through the starting lineups here. I will. I will say, out of all the stories I've covered so far, these two lineups are the ones where I probably know the most players out of, and that's coming from someone who started following the league in 2015. So, star-studded teams going into this final for DC United. The lineup was, and and I'm going probably somewhat back to front uh, for the lineup here. Mark Simpson, Clint P, or Pae, uh, Jeff Agus, Eddie Pope, Mario Gori, Richie Williams, Don Masoner, John Harks, Marco Echeverri, Jaime Moreno, and Raul Diaz-Arce. A star-studded team for DC United, no doubt about it. Now, for the LA Galaxy, a.k.a. the future MLS coach FC. You'll understand that one in a second. It was Jorge Campos, Rash Nuamos, Nua Noamu, oh my god, <laughs> Arash Noamus, uh, Mark Semioli, Robin Frazier, Greg Vanny, Chris Armas, Jorge Salcedo, Mauricio Sinfuegos, Kobe Jones, Harut Carapetian, and Eduardo Hurtado. As you could tell, there was a nice run of MLS coaches in that team. A1, Robin Frazier, Greg Vinny, and Chris Armas, all featuring for the LA Galaxy in the first ever MLS Cup final. All right, but enough about that. Let's get into the game itself. So how did the game play out? Well, Galaxy came out flying. Lots of chances early on, and that resulted in a goal for Hurtado just five minutes into the game. Uh, he put away a header on a cross from Mauricio Sinfuegos. And what's the only way that you can celebrate a goal in a waterlogged pitch? Well, it's by sliding face first into the corner flag. And don't worry, this will be relevant again later. DC did play a bit more into the game. As the half went on, coming up with a few chances here and there, but not ultimately not being able to beat Campos. So when halftime rolls around, the score is 1-0-2 LA Galaxy. Now let's jump into the second half. Galaxy came out in the second half much as they did in the first. A lot of control and a lot of chances. And ultimately, similar to the first as well, in the 58th minute, everyone's favorite RBNY manager, Chris Armas, Doubled lead for LA Galaxy. Hurtado loses the ball outside of the box, but it falls to the foot of Chris Armas, who picks it up, dribbles past four defenders, granted mainly from bad defending, and slots it home for 2-0. At this point in the match, the pitch is a mess. The ball is barely moving. It is absolutely soaked. It looks miserable. It's partially snowing. 
partially raining. I don't know how the 35,000 fans that were there dealt with this, but it is a mess. So to score goals, it's not going to be easy. It's probably going to have to come from a lot of set pieces. And maybe that's a little foreshadowing because in the seven first minute, DC United get a free kick. Marco Echeverry lines up over the free kick, delivers it into the box, and none other than substitute Tony Sane finds himself open, heads it in, 2-1, game on, and this is where the DC United comeback begins. DC's potential comeback, though, was almost killed in the 78th minute following a cleared ball that lands to the feet of Kobe Jones. And in this instance, Kobe Jones is in the box with no goalkeeper in the net because the goalkeeper came out to try and clear a corner. Um, and somehow Kobe Jones missed it. He shot it, it clipped the top of the crossbar and went out. That was a really good opportunity to put this game to bed and get that championship for the LA Galaxy, but no luck there. For FC, uh, for DC fans, bullet dodge, the comeback is still on. And then sure enough, in the 81st minute, the comeback was fully on. Again, another free kick for DC deep in LA Galaxy territory. Crossed into the box by Echeverry. Uh, Compost comes up, punches it, but ultimately didn't get enough on it. Punches it straight to substitute Sean Medved. Medved's first shot is actually incredibly saved by Compost. Like a ridiculously good save. But unfortunately, due to that waterlogged pitch, the rebound falls right to the right of Campos. And Medved, credit to him, followed his shot in and puts it away for 2-2. DC at this point has all the momentum, but the game ends up finishing 2-2 in regular time. Now, let's dive into the rules here really quick for extra time. Two 15-minute period in extra time with golden goal being the ruling. So first team to score wins. Similar to how I previously did it in the NFL with overtime. If it's still tied after that, we go to basic MLS style penalties to decide the champion. However, we're not going to need any of that because it wouldn't take long for the game to be decided as in the 94th minute, DC United win a corner. I guess you're sensing a theme here. It is a lot of set pieces for DC United. Marco Echeverri takes the corner, promptly delivers a fantastic ball into the box to find Eddie Pope, who heads it home and wins the game and the championship for DC United. After scoring the goal, Eddie Pope runs off towards the sidelines. And if you remember from earlier, we get another head first slide in celebration of the game winning goal. I don't know if that was meant to be a shot at Hurtado's goal in celebration or if it's just the pitch is soaked let's try and dive on it so for those of you that know mls history will know that this is the start of the early mls dc united dynasty this is the first of many championships during this period of time for them and in regard to mls final mvp considering that dc scored all of their goals off of set pieces it was pretty easy to DC set piece taker Marco Echeverry as MVP of the first ever MLS Cup final. There's a little part of me that forgot that this was a story about DC United success, so I enjoy it a little bit less. 
However, <laughs> um, the, tied to this comment was the idea that when you went to RFK and you would celebrate a goal or, or anything like that, the stands would be shaking. I mean, to the point where the camera mounted on a steel beam is shaking with the stadium. That's how hyped that the stadium got. Uh, you mentioned the, the 35,000. I mean, again, things that people will remember and make them fans for life. The, uh, I, I can't wait to go back and watch this video because I didn't know that there was a nor'easter the day before. So I'm really excited to see what the game looked like uh, when we do clips for our, for our video. It's, it's, um, it's a train wreck. That's all I'm going to say. It looks That's miserable brilliant. there. I'm not to not take away anything from the passion of the fans, but I kind of feel like partially the reason they were jumping up and down would probably try to get feeling back in their toes. <laughs> or they were excited they get to go home. <laughs> yeah, that too. One of the two. <laughs> uh, that's fantastic. Well, we hope everybody enjoyed those stories. I mean, again, things that... This is this is ML, early MLS, man. You don't get this with other leagues. You don't get the reality stars signing contracts and playing in the league you know the the feeling the understanding of the history of these goals right i mean you're you always think about i think whenever i watch like big goals right we're thinking well this is now about 25 years ago a little bit longer closer to 30 right so that would put this right right after uh ole gunner solskjaer ole gunner solskjaer's champions league goal versus Bayern, right, for Man United. People talk about it all the time, right? This should be on that same level for MLS fans, right? It's stuff like this that makes the league so exciting, that you understand where these these goals come from, where these moments come from, and, and why they're so important. So we really hope you enjoyed that, and please give us a comment or, or anything below if, if you were there and, and your favorite moments as well. Um, make sure you're following us wherever you get your podcast so you know when the next one goes live. And if we hold really quick, the next one that we've got, to close down the file. The next one we've got is the... Oh, these are fun ones. We've got the 1998 double in the expansion season of the Chicago Fire and the 1998 Wizards team that ate two meals a day at Olive Garden in Florida during preseason. That comes from the original creator of the MLS lore iceberg, by the way. So that is going to be a great story to tell, and I cannot wait for it. Um, so make sure you're on board and, and getting ready for that. The next thing you want to do is go follow us wherever you get your uh, social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, or TikTok. We are always there uh, posting clips if you can't watch the whole thing. There'll be a little bit better edited than just the episode itself. So make sure you go and take a look at that as well. Um, but thank you so much, everybody, for listening. We hope you had a really good time reliving that history with us. And we will see you next time in the next episode of the Designated Players Podcast. See ya.